1: to Money Talks on MPV Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Locher janderson president of New Perspectives, and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. They're also both co-authors of the book Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. Today we're going to talk about Time.com's 50 personal finance habits that everyone should follow. For example, number 17 says to plan your dinner menus in advance. It's an effective way to reduce your monthly food expense. Number 29 talks about avoiding the use of payday loans to cover temporary financial shortfalls. And number 35 Says never overpay for insurance. For example, why pay the higher auto insurance premiums for low deductibles if you rarely make a claim? And it is an open topic day today. So if you have a personal finance question that needs answering, please feel free to give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four or email the show it's money at mpbonline dot org now this is not the first time we've talked about this uh, list from Time.com. It's a good list, so we featured it on a couple of earlier episodes so if you'd like to hear more of the uh, time dot com's fifty personal finance habits that everyone should follow, you could listen to podcasts from April seventeenth and may twenty ninth of this year. So, good morning, Ryder. Hope you're doing well this morning. Good morning, Kevin. Uh, Nancy has just made it, so good. We've got a full crew in here this morning. Uh, We're going to talk about financial news, but I wanted to bring up something that I read in the news yesterday, and that involves Kroger, Uh, In some of their stores in California have begun to not accept Visa because apparently there is a dispute over the swipe fees. Um, First of all, make sure I understand Kroger pays Visa an amount for every time anyone swipes their Visa card to pay for their groceries. Is that correct? Right. Pretty much.
2: And the amount that they pay depends Nancy on... Nancy
1: jumping right in there. I, fresh I mean, this is my thing. Just shut
3: the door. Jumps in there. I,
2: I will say, it's like Atlanta out there on that interstate <laughs> this morning. but um, And that depends on whether you swipe as a debit or as a credit. Uh, if you swipe as a credit that offers you, the consumer, more protection because it's like a loan but that's a, a higher percentage cut that is taken off the top versus a debit card. So a credit card, you may be talking, you know, 2 to 3%, depending on what the store, if you have a store card and what they've negotiated, and a debit card may be somewhere in the range of 1% to 1.5%. All
1: right, so I have a card from my bank that has a Visa logo, and it's got the Visa numbers and everything. So um, if I swipe at Kroger and I hit Debit, is Kroger still paying the money to Visa, or are they paying it to my local bank? Uh,
3: v- Visa gets a lot of money because they run the transaction network. Okay. So, there's three parties in the transaction, and that is the Kroger's bank, whoever they're using, um, your bank, so whoever issued your card, and then Visa is the one that connects them. Okay. So, everyone gets a little cut. Um you know, your bank gets a little cut for, you know, moving it onto the visa network. Visa takes a huge cut for having that network. And then their bank has a little cut. So, uh, the disputes, this sort of dispute comes up typically with the transaction network, because that is the largest one. And, and a large, uh, a large retailer like Kroger, uh, typically has the power to negotiate those fees down. You know, if I opened a grocery store, I would probably pay the full rate. You know, I wouldn't get any discounts. Um, um, mm-hmm. But Visa is also far and away the largest network, so they also have a lot of power, because all they have to say is, look, everyone has a Visa card. You want people using Visa cards. You have to accept our fees.
1: Well, I wonder why they were charging the fee, and I understand it's because they're providing that service of sort of being the middleman between uh, the two banks involved, your bank and Kroger's bank. Absolutely. Um, So this kind of reminds me of the uh, disputes where sometimes um, cable providers and channels get in a similar sort of back and forth. And again, it involves mm-hmm. fees paid and that sort of thing. But to me, the consumer is the one that kind of loses because I know uh, – No,
2: no, no, no. The consumer gains because there's competition. Okay. And so the more competition there is for your business – And that means then you get maybe better prices, you get uh, more convenience, all of those things. Um, But, yeah. Well,
3: that's the the long term. Well, certainly something with credit credit cards. I mean, they're they're so ubiquitous. Everybody has one or a couple of them. uh, And every store, almost every store is accepting them. So that competition is very intense. Um, I mean, it is a little bit different in the cable industry when you start realizing, oh, no, I need Netflix flicks for this show and HBO for that show. That, you know, kind of sucks. But but that sort of competition ultimately is usually bringing prices down.
2: Well, but I will say um, all of those represent cost to Kroger. And so they need to build that into their profit margin. And so we may end up paying more for groceries overall, because all of that is just part of the cost of doing business. Mm
1: -hmm. And I guess that's why you also see sometimes with gas stations and smaller businesses, they'll have the thing of, you know, a minimum of X money charge, or we won't let you use your car. Absolutely.
2: Yes. But a lot of that has even gone by the wayside. Mm -hmm. I don't see that as much anymore, because I think most um, folks uh, recognize that you know if you want to do business you got to take the cards
1: yeah so you yeah. even see them yeah. you
2: know down when i go to the farmers market um, they take the cards.
1: Well, and I know that's of even like um, at uh, those sorts of things with the you know, where the smartphone becomes the, you know, they have the little right. reader on yes. the smartphone. So and, I think and you're the right. Problem
2: the problem is the smaller the retailer, the higher those fees are. So it makes it yeah. even more difficult for those smaller shops to compete.
3: It's all about their negotiating power. But, yeah. then, but then you think you're doing them a favor by paying in cash and off, a lot of banks now for business accounts will charge if they deposit cash. So that's Crazy. You can't win for this. The, the smaller businesses... Back to the jar, right? People, <laughs> folks without... Nego- the, the real people who lose out are people without the negotiating power.
1: Well, you know, and I know there's a place I stop for breakfast every once in a while for a biscuit, and, and she always says credit or debit. And then one day I said, well, which is cheaper for you? And she said debit. And so to yes. me, it makes no yes. difference. So I've started right. uh, swiping debit there just to help them out because I think, you know, it's a nice business. And well,
2: but bear in mind that a debit, that money immediately comes right. out of your bank account. So for smaller things, you know, a biscuit. That's not a big deal. But for a larger thing where there could be a dispute, and especially if you're ordering online, when you order by credit, it's a loan. So uh, when that statement comes in, you can can dispute that charge.
1: All right. And again, so uh, with the Kroger thing, again, with my card, if Kroger's not, if Kroger's having this dispute with Visa, I can't use my card as either a credit or a debit in that case. I would have to pay cash, check, some other credit card. It's I don't know the details of it, but yeah,
3: if they if they stopped accepting visa they don't accept visa.
2: Um if it's all visas or because Kroger has an arrangement with Visa for a Kroger card. Yeah. You know, that's what all of these stores are doing now. They're Mm -hmm. having their own store branded card because they want to get a piece of the action in all of this. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure which it is.
1: Okay. And I think our producer, Liz, just mentioned that MasterCard is the preferred card in, in Europe, which is interesting. So hmm. I, and I think
2: – One other thing about Kroger, um, they are starting to roll out home delivery in some smaller cities. Oh, wow. that's- and that's really interesting. So we're seeing this change in the way we shop for groceries, even around here locally. Um, it's great because I can go online and order everything and just say to my husband, can you pick it up at this certain – Time, and so he doesn't have to wander around the store calling me, saying, "You know, where can I find uh, an avocado?" For instance,
3: honestly, if uh, more people did delivery, that would be really great because then it'd be easier to find a parking spot. Oh, I know, it's crazy, isn't
1: it? (laughs) One sort of tangent complaint I'll have, and we'll just (laughs) briefly dismiss this one. Um, I I wish that uh, retailers would update their. uh, All right, the the past couple weeks, twice I've gone to a website and done the store availability thing. And it's like, oh, yes, we have two in stock. And you get to the store, yeah, and they don't have that's, two in stock. That's
2: very common with your big box home stores, um, because I, I don't know if it's just some loss on the floor, uh, a poor inventory management, but... It, you know, you, it will say they have what you need and they don't.
1: Which is extremely frustrating because that's the very purpose you went online to see that you should drive to the store or not. But anyway, yeah. uh, I digress on that. So uh, we have an early caller on the line. So why don't we begin answering personal finance questions, beginning with Bill in Greenwood. Good morning, Bill. You're on the air with us.
4: how are you doing? Uh, I've got some. Uh I guess it's not really stock it's putting them government financial uh fund that I've been trying to sell it for a good while and um uh, every time that I try to sell it they tell me that I have to pay a $1000 fee uh they said that uh, back about 20 years ago that uh, they sent my father a paper saying that if he ever wanted to sell, he would have to send this paper uh, back to them. And, of course, uh, i looked look for it. I don't think they ever sent him, but i looked look for it, and I can't find it. So since I don't have the paper that they sent him, I've got to pay a $1,000 fee, and I've also been trying to sell my super value stock. And uh, my bank here that doesn't have a broker no more, so... Uh, uh, I went through Charles Schwab, and it's been like about a month. He sent me information to sell, had me notarize it, I sent it back, and then he said, "Oh, you didn't, we didn't uh, uh, include this," and then uh, I had to do it again. So it's been about a month with Charles Schwab. So I was just wanted to know, uh, okay, who let is me... a good person to sell your stock with, and what do I do about this Putnam fund? I of a thousand dollar fee.
2: Bill, let me just ask you this. This is are, are all of these inherited securities? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Uh-huh. So that tell me tells me what may be happening with Schwab. Um were those did you have certificates?
4: Uh no, it was just general stock. But I did have you have a stock certificate? Too. Yeah, I have it in my name too, but uh it's uh In my daddy's name. Okay, so... it's been transferred... It's been transferred to me.
2: Uh, All right, but you had a stock certificate, right?
4: Yeah, uh uh-huh. All right,
2: and it had... Did it have your name on it?
4: Yes, ma'am, but I'm not trying to sell mine now. I I was just trying to sell his.
2: Okay, if you're trying to sell his and he's no longer with us, right? Yes, uh uh-huh. But you inherited it. All right, that's a problem. Because you never got it changed over to your name... Um, because there's a time limit. What is it, Ryder, maybe 90 days that you have to do that? Um, so well, you're gonna-
4: you see, we had a lawyer here, and he was supposed to have done all that stuff. And uh, that was between him and my mama and... Um- I had nothing to do with that, and uh, I, I since contacted Supervalue and i have told them about it several times, and they will not ever put it into my name.
2: Right, because you uh, you need was to. it in
4: her name until she passed away, then I can't hardly get them to put it in. Well, you see, Supervalue, they don't even care anymore. They don't even send you information, except they'll send you a proxy once a year, but other than that, I mean, they don't even care.
2: Okay, what's the value of that stock?
4: I don't even know, but I know that he was getting a dividend check of about like seven hundred dollars every time. Okay, so it was a pretty good I, bit of amount.
2: You should be able to look up that stock to find out what the value is. How many shares do you have?
4: I have no idea. That's, that's just it. I don't know. I've been trying to get them to tell me, and they won't tell me. All right. You need to visit. Okay. Wait,
2: Bill. You need to visit a local attorney on that piece. All right. And possibly on the Putnam piece because you're talking about inherited assets. And if they haven't been properly converted to your name, you can't do anything with them. And um, whatever Putnam is talking about, that's going to be your mutual fund. Um, Again, a local attorney can help you. You may have to have new le- a new letter of testamentary that says these you have inherited these. These belong to you, um, and has some documents attached to that in order for you to proceed with selling anything.
4: Mm-hmm. Well, Putnam still says I got to pay him a thousand dollar fee no matter what. I mean, well, I don't I know don't what that's this paper that they mailed him. I, I I've got to. They they said they can't sell it. They got to put it through an insurance company before they can sell it. And then after I pay them a thousand dollars, and they can give me the money.
3: Bill, the first thing is going to be absolutely getting the stuff in your name. Uh, the second step will. I I don't know about that fee. That's not clear to me. But you may be able to transfer that to a discount broker. You know, your Schwab guy, and he may be able to sell that without that fee. That's not clear. To me, um, an investment advisor, maybe your Schwab guy would be able to explain that to you a well, little they, better. They, they
4: will not transfer that, they, 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 they put them, they'll say they won't transfer it.
2: Okay, Bill, the I've only thing we can do, look,
4: first, okay, listen, it.
2: listen, I'm telling you, if you want to sell this stuff, you need to first. Go to an attorney, have somebody look at your statements, um, have somebody who understands, maybe a financial advisor, to get on the phone with you to actually figure it out. Because you obviously do not understand what's going on, and this is inherited assets, and that's a problem.
1: All right, Bill, thanks for your call. Again, that's uh, a little bit more than we can get to do on the radio, give you some general advice there, but as Nancy suggested, maybe a local attorney, uh, and good luck with that, because it does sound like it's kind of a, a convoluted situation. Uh, we need to take a quick break. When we get back, a couple of things. we got Frank on the line from Jackson, and also, uh, do you review your credit card statements? You should, and after the break, we'll tell you why. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning at one eight seven seven MPB-RING. It's 1 1- Back with more after this. Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Today we're talking about personal finance habits that everyone should follow. We're basing this on a list from time.com. In just a minute, we'll talk about reviewing your credit card statements, but we've got a couple of calls on the line. So let's begin again with our buddy Frank in Jackson. Good morning, Frank.
5: Good morning, good morning, financial gurus. Good morning, good morning Frank. Frank. A, uh, just an aside, is Michelle McAdoo in that uh, Hope Community Credit Union commercial on television?
1: I'm not sure that,
5: about you? that. Oh, Oh, so it sounds like her, and the, the girl in commercials commercial is about the same age as her daughter. Anyway, uh, I'm thinking about starting up another business, and PayPal kept coming up. So I did some research on PayPal. And much to my surprise, they are not a bank. Correct. And uh, there are very little consumer protection that you have when you use PayPal, particularly if it's a business account. Correct. So they reserve the right to hold your money indefinitely if mm-hmm. they think that you have some uh, transactions that are suspicious. Mm-hmm. And they do the same thing that a lot of these, uh, as seen on TV, people do. They just give you the runaround on getting uh, um, Getting discounts and getting your money back and getting access to your money. What exactly is PayPal if they're not a bank?
3: It would be what you call a non bank. Um, and I don't mean to sound—I like I don't mean to sound patronizing, but that is—that is one of our, the, the list that we give that's, students a non banks That's the term that we use for a financial institution that does banking-like um, activities. You know, they process payments. You can have a PayPal account that has a PayPal balance. You can send people money. These are very bank-like. You things. You have a
2: PayPal credit but card. You
3: mm-hmm. can have a PayPal credit card, but they are what you call a non-bank, which essentially just means they're not regulated um, by. The banking regulators um, So they're not They don't have to do things Like provide specific types of accounts Uh, They don't have FDIC insurance On your balance I believe they are working To have some sort of FDIC insurance On your balance But like you pointed out It gives them a lot of leeway Over your transactions You know, they are not They do not have the um, You know, required settlement times That a regular bank might have They do not have to send your money out you You know, as fast as a regular bank might. now, I, I mean, just because they don't have to do this, and I know obviously disputes do come up, and they're a very large company now. Um, they handle you can you can use them as a payment processor. You know, if you say have a store instead of using a you know for your credit card reader, you can have PayPal be your credit card reader. They will be your kind of non bank bank on your side. Um, so while while they're not regulated like a bank, and they don't have all of the requirements that a normal bank has they didn't get to be such a large successful company without doing at least fairly good most of the time um obviously disputes do come up and problems can happen but um but yeah they are a non-bank as we call them
5: because one of my research indicates that there are no consumer protections
3: zero very few you're correct very few that's, that's, okay. Well, I'll, yeah. I'll alone. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just like it's just like if I came to you and I said, "Hey, Frank, you want to give me ten dollars?" I'll just I'll say you have a ten dollar balance with me at all times. You could say, "Sure," but you would have no protections. It's just it's just me and you, you know. Uh, you
2: know, yeah. I could process payments for, but it's just me and you. you know? Yeah, but that goes back to what we talked about with the credit cards um, because PayPal is becoming a, a a way of making it convenient to do business, mm-hmm. and it's convenient for customers to purchase from you, and yeah. so um, it's being used a lot more. I mean, I use it a lot more. And, and
3: they do have, um, you know, they do have dispute resolution procedures, and they do have, you know, when they're when you're using them as a transaction processor, you you do have more rights there, and also uh, also you are backed by the transaction network. A lot, a lot of the a lot of the consumer benefits uh, from using, say, a credit card or a debit card are coming from the transaction network, not from not from the processors like PayPal. Or or your bank or whatever. So there will still be in any transaction, there's still ways of getting protection. But yeah, like you said, they're just, they're non bank.
1: They don't have to do that. All right. Frank, uh, thanks for the call. And no, Michelle, unfortunately, was not in the uh, Hope uh, Credit Union commercial, although I think she's certainly worthy of commercials. So maybe uh, we can stir up some business for her in the future. Let's uh, go next to Lori in Meridian. You're on the air with us, Lori. Go ahead, please.
2: Good morning. I have a question about a cash back card. My husband and I went to using our cash back visa uh, within the last couple of years in order to build the cash back value. And uh, people have said, well, you're just paying more for all these things because somebody has to pay for that cash back. So, what I would like to know is, is it really financially beneficial to us to have a cash back card and use it a lot? And we pay it off every month, so we're not. Carrying a debt to use <clears throat> it. I just want to know is it really financially beneficial to have the cash back card?
3: Um, you're not paying a lot more for the things. Everyone is paying a yes, lot. Yes, it's for spread them. out yeah. among everybody. So, so with the cash, so you're good. Yeah, essentially. So, you know, like we were talking earlier, credit card processor might charge the whole the whole transaction fee might be three percent. Um, the the transact the the people who gave you the credit card might be offering you one or two percent cash back because they want to encourage you to keep using that card, and so they'll offer you some incentive. It's coming out of their profit line, which means they are probably raising, they may raise their price to the retailer, which if the retailer, you know, again, like we said, you know, Kroger could just raise their prices 1% and cover all these fees if they wanted to. Um, It's not coming out of your pocket. It's coming out of everyone's pocket. So, um, but don't think of yourself as a leech on society. It's a perfectly normal thing and everyone needs a credit card. (laughs) Well, (laughs) and
2: Lori, this brings up that the people who get those advantages are people like you who have good credit. You're paying off your bill every month and um, so they're not... Not making money off of you on interest and late fees, so they're making money off of you on every transaction. So you're a valuable customer to them. Yeah, and as as long as you're
3: not paying an annual fee, there's no difference. I mean, you go into the store and you pay the same ten dollars that everyone else is paying. I mean, there's no okay. That's it.
1: So that go for it. Good.
3: All right. Yeah, rack it up. Okay. Thanks for the Thank call, you.
1: Lori. Uh, let's uh, get to our next phone call in a minute, but I did uh, tease the idea of uh, reviewing your credit card statement. It's number 18 on our list of personal finance habits that everyone should follow. Um, Want to check it every month? Make sure that all the action well, is information on there. Yeah, the and what
2: I'm doing now is, um, and most cards will let you do this, we will set up an alert so I've really, um, I just have one main card I use and I get alerts every time there's a charge on it so that helps me mm-hmm. then cut off any kind of problems mm-hmm. even before I get a statement but I still will look at the statement um, sometimes I look at it and go well how did I do that much you know, <laughs> and so I can look down mm-hmm. the list and surely this is not the right addition uh, but yeah. it usually is And um, but that's a good way, get alert check your statement because because um, anybody who's trying to take your number is going to start. Um, uh You know, trying to put small charges on first Mm -hmm. to see if you're you're not paying attention. And they will do that two or three times and then suddenly hit you with a big charge. All
1: right. So is uh, is there a time limit? I mean, in other words, if I have a charge and then I go ahead and pay that balance, have I lost my ability to go back and say, hey, wait a minute? Yeah,
2: there is a time limit. I don't remember how long. It depends on... uh, I want to. I want to say maybe sixty days. Okay. Uh, but
3: yeah, there you is do somewhere. have a little bit of time, um, and you can't dispute it until it actually posts to your account. Okay. So often, you if you log in online, you'll be able to see it right when you run it. Um, I did want to give a, a point to someone using a cashback card. Probably the best strategy, uh, since you don't earn any interest or anything on this is just go ahead and every time you accumulate enough to make a dent in your bill, just go ahead and, and pay it off. There's no sense in building up the cash back uh, just for the fun of it. Um, oh, I mean, if it's fun to you, then that I guess that is the point. But, uh, you know, go ahead and
1: use it. It's not accumulating interest, and you'll just get a little discount every now and then. All right. Very good. Uh, let's get one more call in before the next break, and we'll visit with Anthony in Jackson. Good morning, Anthony. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
4: Uh, yes, I just got a... Uh Question about, I guess this is not about cars, but about taxes. And is it true that paying federal income tax is voluntary? There's no law that says we have to pay income tax, federal income tax.
2: (laughs) Well, if you don't, they're going to put you in jail. Yeah.
4: What what law? That's what I'm saying. What law says that we have to pay the taxes?
3: You might want to call into uh, the legal uh, show to get the actual, uh, you know, code numbers out of there. But it is the responsibility, legal responsibility of uh, every American to uh, report, uh, file, and report taxes. Well, no,
2: um, you don't have to file if you don't owe owe any tax. Right, but if you do owe taxes, you are required to file.
3: The, uh, I mean, I guess, I guess you could say the the process is voluntary. I mean, l- nobody has come to my house and made me do it yet. I- I just. But they would just show, show up if if My house if I
1: don't do yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All right, uh, Anthony. Thanks for the call, Liz. Our producer checked the actually the Sixteenth Amendment uh, allows oh, Congress yes. to levy yeah. taxes, so it is in uh, the Constitution. So yes, uh, it, I, it, and that's one of those where uh, if you if you think it's a voluntary and it isn't, you're going to get in trouble and end up either with a fine or in jail. So you know, yeah. and
2: penalties and interest and it's not fine.
1: Yeah. And if you have a
3: if you find a lawyer that gives you an interpretation, interpretation that it's voluntary. I would I would just recommend, you know, finding another one.
2: <laughs> and know that the IRS is one of the few entities that can just reach their hands in your bank account without even asking. And you'll just, you know, try to get something out, and it's all emptied out.
1: All right. We need to take another break. Today, we are talking about personal finance habits that everyone should follow. We're looking for your personal finance questions as well. The phone number is one mpb ring It's one 672 7464 After the break, we'll talk about why it's important to have an emergency fund and how much you should have in that fund. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives, and Ryder Tapp, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They're also co-authors of the book, Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. Today on the show, we're looking for your personal finance questions. We've got some open phone lines at one mpb ring 1-877-672-7464. And we're also talking about personal finance habits that everyone should follow. Uh, number 47 seven on the list is to maintain an emergency fund uh and so let's talk a little bit about um, why it's important to have one and how much you should how much money you should try to maintain in the fund obviously unexpected expenses show up all the time medical bills i think is one that catch a lot of people maybe a car accident that sort of thing so Mm -hmm. it's important to have the cash reserves are there some guidelines about how much you should have in there Yeah,
3: so often people will say, kind of think of it in a number of months' expenses. Um, I try to think about, you know, what does an emergency look like? Um, Oftentimes, maybe like you said, a medical emergency, a car wreck, uh, maybe you know, tree falls on your house. So with those sort of things, you also have some other things to help you out in emergencies. You have you have insurance, hopefully, in various different ways. Um, You may have access to credit cards, or you may have some investment accounts that you don't want to just use for cash, but if push comes to shove and you needed the money, you could use that. So, you know, have enough to cover your major insurance deductibles, um, you know, say your insurance deductible in your health is $2,000 and your car is a thousand, you know, so if a car, if you got in a car wreck, you need at least $3,000 probably. Um, and then also have a couple months expenses because, you know, again, an emergency could put you out of a job. You might lose a job because, you, you know, you were, you were, you know, tied up so much um, and so have those plus couple months expenses will usually do it of course, that's really intimidating. People are always like, "Oh no, you know that that you know oh, that's twenty thousand dollars for me." Da da Um, well, you you know start somewhere. So aim for you know just just pick a number and and start putting your money away. You know maybe that's a thousand dollars if you just haven't saved anything up yet. So put away some money every month until you hit a thousand dollars. Nice round number. Give yourself a pat on the back and then keep doing it.
1: And my story for how I built up my emergency fund was I had to replace my roof due to some hail damage, mm-hmm. and so um, I took out a loan to cover the uh, deductible, and so then I was paying that back to the credit union, and once the, the deductible amount got repaid, I just kept putting that mm-hmm. money, and again, it's that we've talked about it a number of times on the show, is you know when you have an expense like that, and it gets in your monthly budget, and after several months it's in there, you get used to having that money go to that, and it's it's not so stark anymore. And and then you know when you kind of forget about it, you look up and you think, "Wow, look how much I've got saved up in there." So exactly. Um, any any other thoughts about the emergency I, fund? I
2: would just say that having an emergency fund keeps you from uh, a lot of sleepless nights mm-hmm. um, because things do happen, and so when they happen, it's not a full-on panic, and how are we going to cover this? Because that's what that money is designed for.
3: And, you know, a lot of people, especially with the low interest rates we've been having for a while, we got like 2% interest rates right now, but people would look at their emergency fund and be like, oh, you know, this isn't earning me anything. It's not doing anything for me. The value of an emergency fund is not just that dollar amount on it. It's not the interest that it earns. You don't care about that. It's, again, it's so that you can sleep at night, and it's so that when you need it, it is there. Because... If the money is not there when you need it, it's not just a $1,000 you don't have. It's, I mean, it's all sorts of problems. It's, you can't fix your car. You can't uh, you know, pay your doctor's bill, that sort of thing. So when, when you need $1,000, having $1,000 is way more valuable than just that dollar amount.
1: We are talking about personal finance habits that everyone should follow and also looking for your personal finance questions this morning. So give us a call because the phone lines are open and available. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show. It's money at mpbonline.org. Number 19 and 20 on our list of habits that everyone should follow. And again, time.com is our source reference for this list. Uh, Talk about a budget. Number 19 says to keep a budget. And number 20 is to follow that budget. And again, I would say kind of starting out, I often talked about some friends of mine that live in Florida. They're kind of just kind of 20-somethings. And my friend was showing me the last time I was down there. It's kind of a basic thing where he has a notebook page and he's got all of his bills written out and everything. And it's sort of a very rudimentary budget. But I gave him credit because you've started one. And again, this is similar to that emergency fund. These habits, when you start them out, they improve over time when you when it becomes more familiar to you.
2: Well, it's just just knowing uh, where your money is coming from and where it's going. And uh, instead of just doing this thing willy-nilly and seeing what's left at the end of the month, when you budget, you also then plan to save. So part of your budget should be a portion mm-hmm. that goes to savings for retirement, for an emergency fund. And um, if you can do that, then it's not that big of a deal on the other side of it if you overspend in a few areas. and But, but take care of those savings. Um, but to, you don't have to monitor it on a daily basis. Um, Maybe not even on a monthly basis, but just to understand what it costs you to live on a regular uh, month-to-month deal. Yeah. I, the most
3: important thing about a budget is awareness of what you're spending. Um, a lot of people get really nervous about making a budget. They don't know how to do it. It's intimidating. Uh, so my kind of evolution of when I started budgeting to what I do now, because uh, I still budget, I just d- hardly take any time to do it. When I first started, I would look at every expense I had. And, you know, I would go through everything every month and I'd look at something I'd be, okay, I can skip that next month. I don't I can reduce that. month next month until I got it to kind of where I wanted and I mean I had categories this is how much I'm going to spend on this 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 you know restaurants groceries shopping uh, clothes gas car maintenance every detailed category Um, once I got the hang of that and I was very you know you could you could ask me any day I'd know exactly how much I'd spent that month I paid attention to it ruthlessly after a while uh, one it became a lot easier to do that and also I got kind of tired of doing that. So I just kind of divided it up into a little bit broader categories. There were, you know, necessary things, you know, your your rent or mortgage, your utilities, those things you're you're gonna have to pay. You don't really have a whole lot of say in it anymore. And then I had uh, categories which were very important and I couldn't really avoid, but that I had a little bit of influence. You know, so gas, uh, groceries. You know, I can spend a little less on gas or I can spend a little less on groceries in a month, but, you know, I don't have a whole lot of influence. And then everything else is discretionary. Um, You know, going out to eat, uh, you know, spending money with friends, you know, movies, entertainment, all that sort of stuff. That stuff that push push comes to shove, I can cut out totally. And so I just gave myself broad categories. Um, Now I pretty much know how much I'm spending in all of those and so it's more just I have a top line number I know how much I can spend in a month and you know I look at my credit card statement I glance at my bank statement I say well this is how much I spent and I know how much I expect to have left over and so when I have more than that left over I'm like great I can save that good to go. Let's move on to next month.
1: And, you know, you mentioned, I think it's true, that when you're first starting out something like this, uh, you know, anything to dealing with personal finance, I think people get nervous because we need money. I mean, that's how we live, is by, mm-hmm. by money. absolutely. Uh, and I know a lot of banks, I think, uh, are going to where they can give you, you know, tutorials and things like that to help you get started on creating a budget. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. But I would also say on something like that, you know, use the things that work for you, but if they're parts of the someone's recommended budget that don't fit your needs, go ahead and, and just tailor make. It uh, to your own personal um, f- financial situation. Absolutely. We've got some open phone lines ready for your uh, personal finance questions at 1 MPB Ring. It's 1 672 7464. Let's see if we can get one more uh, uh, bullet point in before our next break. Number 22 says Properly maintaining your car by following your car's maintenance schedule and paying a little upfront, you reduce the risk of encountering more costly major issues down the road that reminds me of a commercial I think for belts or something but it's the mechanic you know you can pay me now or you can pay me later and so again <laughs> yeah this is
2: my weakest area you know I we just know. <laughs> I, I, I know how to crank the thing up I know how to um, I, I know I need to put gas in it but beyond that I don't pay that much attention <laughs> you know I even I even go out in the parking lot and I just look for the first white car I see and so I walk up to cars and not even mind you know? are, are you are you my car yeah are, are you my car yeah absolutely
3: maintenance on your car at, at least get your oil change you know and if you find that's expensive just learn how to do it yourself it's well like 10
1: bucks that's, that's another thing i have a friend who is much more knowledgeable about cars than i am he actually can help me rotate my tires in his driveway i mean he's got the little lifts and the jacks wow. and that's everything so, yeah. yeah so uh it's it's always good to cultivate friends who have skills that you don't have and and then rely on yeah. them when you need that's them that's very good all right so one call before our next break and it's uh, David who's called in from Ocean Springs. Good morning, David. You're on the air with us. Go ahead.
5: Hey, good morning. How are you today? Good. Question is I have a daughter who just graduated college and she's got a little bit of student loans yet and we're getting letters every now and then about consolidation. So my question is how do I determine which group is a reputable student loan consolidator that we can point her to?
3: okay the uh, one thing i want to ask first are all of her loans federal student loans yeah okay do not whatever you do do not go with a private consolidation um if they're all with the same servicer right now are they all with the same servicer right now she has a single login to view them Yes. Okay, they can consolidate. They, they can do a federal consolidation, uh, probably. Most I, I, there's some makeup of loans. Some can be consolidated. Some can't uh, with a federal consolidation. It doesn't really matter. Uh, the federal consolidation doesn't really it doesn't really change anything about it. It's some. It just makes you eligible for different payment plans. Um, my general advice, again, this is not specific to her situation, is um, federal loans are best. Put them on uh, an income-based repayment plan, either paye or repaye, whichever one she's eligible for. Um, but of course, that's going to depend on what her actual income is, and um, and what those loan amounts are. But whatever you do, the the mistake that you can make is moving to a private servicer um, without you know w- without. A very, very, very so, um, careful look
2: should she then call Her current servicer And have a
3: conversation About consolidation? Uh, yeah and, and consolidation isn't necessary I mean, it just makes You know, the number of payments Coming out of your bank account changes I mean, but you still have to pay The same loans back um, But if she is interested in it, and especially if she has like weird amounts of loans, consolidation might make sense, and she should definitely talk to her current servicer
1: about that, but make sure it stays as a federal uh, consolidated loan. All right, uh, David, we appreciate your call. Uh, our producer Liz Gill advises me that coming up on August 28th, student loans will be the topic on Money Talks. Oh so, good. Oh so good. Something that we can look forward to. Yeah, tune back in then for sure. Okay, time for our last break we've been talking today about personal habits, uh, personal finance habits that everyone should follow. Also looking for your personal finance questions. Julio is on the line from Mobile. We'll get to his question after the break. And also, what do you think the average balance on credit cards at the end of 2017 was in Mississippi? According to Experian, $8,515, $6,924, or $5,421. We'll have that answer for you after this break. Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Nancy Lotter anderson president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Today, we've been talking about personal finance habits that everyone should follow and also taking your personal finance questions. Julio is on the line for Mobile. We'll get to his question in just a minute. But before the break, we pose the question of the average balance on credit cards at the end of 2017 in Mississippi. Was it 8,515, 6,924, or 5,421? Guesses here for from the.
2: I'll take 8,515. All right. Wait, I'll take the other one then.
1: Well, there's three. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. 6,900 right. or 5,400? Uh, let's go with 5,000. Ryder is correct. God. The average
3: always balance beats me this game. on credit cards. Now, That's because uh, I was very good at standardized <laughs> tests, so understand, I know how to answer questions. I understand like that.
2: that this um, is um, a little bit misleading because it's the average over all the credit card users and it doesn't and it includes people who pay theirs off like okay. the the caller we had earlier and for people who maintain a balance you're going to find it closer to about 15,000
1: okay Nancy qualifies her answer there. So, all right, I'll I'll buy that. That sounds like a a good excuse there. (laughs) Julio is called in from Mobile. Julio, thanks for holding on. Go ahead. You're on the air with us.
5: Yeah, it's a very quick question, uh, but I don't know the the legal ramifications of this. Um, My wife and I bought a condo, uh, which is rented most of the time, and we put it under an LLC just for insurance purposes more than anything. We also opened... uh, business account in my bank. However, the condo was purchased uh, using my checking account, and that's where the monthly payments are coming from. Are there any rules? concerning the movement of money from the business account to my ticking account when everything goes to the same purpose that's the question
2: no there's not uh, because uh, an LLC all of that income flows through to your personal income tax form and so as long as you are reporting all of that correctly it's not a problem it you uh, can you can mix and mingle and we usually advise people to keep it separate because it's just right. easier for record-keeping purposes and right. when it's time right. to file those taxes, but it doesn't matter.
5: Well, the problem is when I want to make an extra payment towards the principal, for example, because it directly comes from my checking account, uh, it has to come from there. So then I move the money from there.
2: Right. I wouldn't worry about that. As long as you keep your records uh, on the rental and uh, your tax preparer is reporting that appropriately, you're good.
1: Thank you very, very much. All right. Okay. Thanks for the call, Julio. We've got uh, some open phone lines and a couple of minutes left in the program. If you'd like to work in your f- personal finance question, it's one mpb ring one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 In the meantime, we're working through some more of these personal f- personal finance habits that everyone should follow. Uh, our source is time.com. Uh, moving on next, uh, this one seems like a no-brainer to me, paying bills on time so that you avoid spending money on needless latency.
2: Fees. Oh, yeah, more than that. If yeah. you don't pay those bills on time, that represents about a third of your credit score. So you are really dinging your credit Big time, and it may take seven years for you to get back to even after just a simple missed payment. And and and
3: for folks who do f- find it uh, difficult to keep paying their bills on time, there's a couple of things you can do. One, especially if it's a large bill, uh, maybe an unusually large bill, maybe just an unusual bill, like you know, hospital bill. You don't go to the hospital every day. Maybe you had a, a ton of taxes and you couldn't pay that all at once. Um, a lot of places will offer payment plans. Um, so. Get yourself on a payment plan uh negotiate that bill down a little bit again, particularly medical bills are kind of famous for being negotiable because they're they are literally making all those numbers up and adding a zero on the end <laughs> um, and so so that's that's good negotiate them ask for a payment plan uh, or you can also. If it's just a matter of you know kind of cash flow and timing, you know, oh, this bill always arrives two days before my paycheck, kind of a hassle. Um, see if you can put that and, and it's difficult for you to save up at the end of the month so you can pay it off the next month. Um, try putting it on a credit card which gives you a little more control of when you actually pay the bill again, make sure that bill does get paid because the credit card is going to throw in some interest charges that'll put everybody else a shame. Um, but it does give you a little more time to pay. It gives you a little more time before the money actually comes out of your bank account. So those are a couple of strategies there.
1: Also, that's one we, we often encourage people to not have a whole bunch of credit cards. And one of the things is it's keeping up with the monthly payments each month. You know, if you have right. five different cards that you got to remember to pay each month, that's a little bit more difficult than, say, maybe one or just two. Let's wrap up our show with a call from Joe from Pope. Good morning, Joe. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. i need to understand uh about long-term
0: uh, paying the uh, cost of long-term care for a spouse whose um, spouse whose hu- whose husband was a veteran of foreign war and deceased, can the spouse uh, get a benefit from that status because the veteran was a veteran of foreign war? Can sh- can the wife, who's now in long-term care, uh? Uh, uh, give us some assistance for payment for the long-term care cost?
2: Um, I I don't think so. I think you need to contact your Veterans Affairs uh, Department, the local one, and discuss that. Um, There is long-term care available for veterans in homes that are veterans' homes for that purpose. I don't know if they have any available for women, Uh, Certainly, that should be something that would be out there, but um, spouses often get some benefits. But from what I've heard with veterans, the only benefit comes through by being placed in one of their veterans' uh, nursing facilities. But contact the VA.
1: All right, uh, Joe, thanks for your call. We're almost out of time. Excuse me, just a chance to mention that next week on Money Talks, our guest will be Executive Director Robert Dozier of the Mississippi Independent Pharmacists Association. We'll talk about possible ways to save money on prescriptions. And again, a reminder, also later this month on August 28th, student loans will be our topic. That is going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded by generous contributions from you, our listeners. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So, for Nancy Lotridge-Anderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's In Legal Terms, where Riley Morse from the Mississippi Center for Justice is the guest. We'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio.